Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You are the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with a couple of my good friends, neither of whom is Drew or Lindsay, but they're still pretty great. I am here with Mark and Adriana in a conglomeration that we don't really get very much, which is pretty fun. So, Mark, Adriana, say hello. Hi, everyone. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So... We are talking about Ahsoka today, um, which everybody's like, you talk about Ahsoka every day. And you're correct. I do. Um, But I'm really excited to get uh, Mark and Adriana's point of view on Ahsoka and her arc now that we kind of have a more or less complete arc um, for her in terms of Clone Wars all the way through the end of Rebels. Um, And so we're going to get it kind of a deep dive into that today but before we get into that just uh wanted to make a couple of plugs um we are running a uh, actually a a birthday fundraiser for me um over on facebook for my 30th i just turned 30 uh the other day which is weird um but if you would like to donate to that cause we've had a lot of awesome people we like crushed uh the 200 dollars goal that i set for us which was awesome so if you would like to donate uh that's still available on my Facebook page um, and in the the Clashing Sabers group. And also just wanted to uh, let you guys know uh, that Patreon will be coming in June. Um, So stay tuned for that. And that money will be going towards uh, our mission of getting more Star Wars books into schools and classrooms across the country. So um, we'll have all the links in there. But I just wanted to go ahead and talk about that at the beginning and get that business part out of the way before I ask Adriana, what are you Star Warsing lately? Um, I was actually catching up earlier, actually, on the gallery uh, for The Mandalorian. So I was uh, watching the last two episodes because I'd only seen the first two. And then I got super busy working from home. It's like more work, I think. Um, yes. And so, yeah, I was just catching up on those. And, like, I'm still – I have to go back and rewatch because I'm still, like – still i can't believe that they were not on set like i don't know if you guys watched episode four when they talk about the volume and stuff like that but yeah yeah it's crazy (laughs) i i literally thought they were on location for all that stuff especially when they were um like all those desert stuff desert planet stuff so well are so I'm 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 behind on it uh, right now. I've only actually watched the first two episodes. Oh, no. So I mean, no, no. I mean, spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert for a behind the scenes. I don't think that counts. Um, but you're talking about the like the screen that they had in the back, right? Where it yeah. projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Because I mean, I know they did that with Solo uh, for hyperspace. You know, they had that screen there and just filmed it directly. But it's crazy that we're at a point now uh, where the resolution is just so crazy that we actually think they're on location, you know? Like, yeah. if you think about where that's come from, you know, uh, Phantom Menace, where everybody thought things that were not locations, or that were locations were not locations, and now we're, like, thinking that 
they are on location and they're not on location. It's pretty pretty funny. Yeah, that episode actually did address that. Uh, oh, it did Phantom, it. Okay. Yeah, the Phantom Menace aspect of it. I need to sit down and and watch it. I'm. I have like a weird relationship with behind the scenes stuff because. I end up like remembering certain things and then they are all I can see when I'm actually watching the show uh, or the movie like Rise of Skywalker um, from the behind the scenes documentary. I can't think of the sinking fields as something other than black beans um, (laughs) now, which it's like really annoying when I watch that scene. So I need to I need to catch up and and sit down and do that. But in the meantime, uh, while I'm waiting on doing that, Mark, what are you Star Warsing lately? Um, a little of everything. Uh, I, once Adriana mentioned the gallery, I was like, oh, yeah, I saw the gallery, too, on Friday. So uh, I'm having to remind myself of, at any given moment what all I'm, I'm Star Warsing because uh, it's kind of all over the place. Um, I've, of course, watched, rewatched The Empire Strikes Back, both with, with Drew and uh, just for the anniversary, because it was this past uh, Thursday, I think it was. Um had an episode that dropped uh, for Forever Star Wars for that. And also I've been watching, uh, not watching, but reading the Art of the Rebels uh, animated series. Uh, the book came out, and <laughs> when the book arrived, I posted this on Twitter, um, I was totally unaware that like when it opened, the very front case like the has two lightsabers crossed on the front of it. They light up and make sounds. <laughs> and it completely threw me because I just I, I was expecting to pull a book out and I open it and it just starts it comes alive and starts making noises and I literally screamed. <laughs> That's um, that that was pretty I mean that was pretty cool to see. Like you were like a little kid watching that video. Just you were so excited. I mean, I usually buy the best, of, like the art of all the movies and the TV shows. So I just, I'm always going to buy those books. So I was completely unprepared because I didn't really know that it had all of those, you know, special effects in it. So uh, that's been fun. And you're, you said you're reading through it, right? Yes, uh, that and the. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jedi Fallen Order game. Um, yeah. It it also has a uh, an art of book that I've been reading through as well. What do you what do you think so far about him? Are you getting like some good nuggets about the process and stuff? Because obviously, like the Rebels one, I definitely want to get. Um, but yeah, the the Rebels one is interesting because a lot of times with the films, they'll feature the like the animatics for certain scenes or certain locations, and you'll see various versions or different ideas that maybe they threw out, but then maybe didn't actually end up using. Um, the Rebels book really does just feature all of the stuff that's from the show, um, but you see it in various forms of development. Um, They have a lot of character models. Um, They don't have a whole lot of, um, I guess you'd call speculative artwork, where they were sort of working out the looks of all the characters. Like, for instance, the Bindu. The Bindu's pretty straightforward. It's just uh, features the, the animatic model. But I wanted to see all the different versions of the Bendu before the one they settled on. Like, I love stuff like that. Yeah, that would be kind of like, that's what I like about the, um, you know, the behind the scenes or the art of books for like Solo and uh, Last Jedi and stuff. Because it's just fun to kind of think about, hmm, how would that have, have changed the story if they had gone in that direction? Or if they used this character model, what would the interpretation have been? Uh, of the character and stuff like that. Yeah, like for instance, talking about rebels, Zebaralius there was was originally the concept of the Lasat was the an early version of a Wookiee, 
So that's a little tidbit that is from the Star Trek. I mean, Star Trek. Whoa. Wrong, sh- wow. wrong podcast. Oh, boy. Wow. I've also been watching. I've also been trekking a lot lately. Not just Star Warsing, but Star Trekking. So well, Mark, a- it was nice talking to you. We'll see you later. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a nice little historic uh, uh, nugget. Yeah, I mean, looking back on like kind of how the story developed and things like that, it's really interesting. I know I sent you guys a picture. Um, I just got the Attack of the Ga- uh, Attack of the Clones uh, Game Boy game uh, the other day. I finally got to go back to a used bookstore uh, for my birthday. This is this is how 2020 goes. For my big 30th <laughs> birthday, I'm like, all I want to do is what I do normally on the weekends, which is go to the bookstore. <laughs> like, and it was a big deal. It was like, oh my god, I actually get to do this. Um, Man, I I played the game one time so far. They make the Game Boy games really hard for Star Wars. Like, you don't get to ease your way into things. You start off in uh, for for Attack of the Clones by going, you know, instead of actually chasing in a speeder or stuff because they didn't have the capacity to uh, to build that kind of stuff for such a small screen. But you um, are going across the. Uh, uh, the roofs of Coruscant and you get these droids attacking and you know normally you get like one or two droids at a time as you start you know a story or whatever they're throwing like six seven eight at you at a time and it it's like near impossible and it's the same thing I had um, Jedi power battles I couldn't get through the first section and part of it's because I'm terrible at video games but you know I'm like man why did they make these things so hard back then? And you look yeah. at things like Jedi Fallen Order now, and you can do so much, but I'm like, even watching that, they at least teach you how to do things. You just have to figure it out in the old games. They're like, here's a game. Here you go. Yeah, the the console really has kind of spoiled us because that's the way console games are set up. They're set up to sort of ease you into the experience because it's a long-form experience, whereas the handheld games, it's like you're not going to play the – well – Technically, any somebody could play them for hours, but there's not like a start, middle, and an end to a lot of those games. You just play them, and so they were designed to be very challenging right from the very moment you're you're playing them. Oh, and they certainly are, especially for somebody who is not good at video games like me. Um, but it's fun to you know to kind of look back on and see like to think about what were they thinking as they you know made this game, you know. Um, like oh we we can't really make a speeder chase work very well so we can't have them doing that so you know what do we do when we can just have them move forward and back and that kind of stuff um which is which is really interesting you know and just in terms of of how people visualize star wars and think about star wars um yeah we'll see if i uh, actually make it through this game most games i get to a point where i can't beat something and then i'm just like Okay, I'm going to try a different game now. So we'll see. We'll see. More on that soon. Um, and then, what else have I been Star Warsing? Uh, I just read uh, Yoda Dark Rendezvous, which was okay. Um, huh. I didn't really think you needed Yoda in the book about Yoda, um, which is <laughs> not necessarily a good thing. Um, and then I'm revisiting Alphabet Squadron, uh, which we did an episode with Sith Talk. Um, for the original uh, one, which I'm rereading, and I'm getting ready for the one coming out in June, um, which will will is coming so quickly, guys. So yeah, that's what I've been Star Warsing lately. Um, anything else we need to talk about before we jump into kind of our main main discussion? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Make solo two happen? No. Oh yeah, always, <laughs> always. If we're speaking uh, about production stuff. Now, um, did did solo come out Memorial Day? I guess it did come out Memorial Day weekend. It, originally. I believe, it did. Yeah. I believe they're doing the today as we record is the make solo two happen hashtag again. Yo, <laughs> I'm just saying, like that thing is going strong and has been going strong for a while, and it. Clone War saved, got us Clone War saved, and now we've got this whole, you know, Snyder cut. It's hard to deny a, that, that, that there's yeah. potential. I have a feeling it's going to lead to something. Because, so. you know, you brought this to our attention. Like, Ray Park has been, like, his Instagram is very interesting. Because he will post things and then put certain hashtags in them. So I don't know in what form we're going to see like the story of Crimson Dawn, Maul, Kira, or or Solo, Han Solo, Chewbacca extended. It may be in its own series. It may be part of the Obi-Wan series. I kind of hope it isn't. But. No. No, I want the Obi-Wan series to be more of like just a character study. Yeah. You know, spending a lot of time with him struggling with how to be a Jedi when you're not a Jedi um, anymore, or you don't have an order to be a Jedi anymore. So... Yeah, make Solo Solo 2 happen. I think if it happens, it should be in the form of a Maul Kira Disney Plus show. That's that's what I want. That's what I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. Um, Yeah, that's the part of the story that I was the most interested in. Um, Yeah. To to see where that that goes. Well, and you kind of have to be careful with, like, a young Han Solo, right? Because you can't just have him relearning the same lessons that he learns in the original trilogy. But you also don't want to make him such a good guy that that arc doesn't mean anything anymore, you know? Right. So, interesting. We'll see. Maybe, uh, how long did it take us to get Clone Wars? Ten years? So, (laughs) let's, uh, let's reconvene in 2030. It's four, right? It was four years after the, the final episode. Wasn't it? Uh, I honestly don't know because I didn't watch Clone Wars on the original run. Came out in 2008. And <laughs> I then... think it ended 2014, and then we had an announcement in 2018. Okay, so look at that. Look, we just cut four years' time off of it. <laughs> it just it feels like 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. It feels like 10 years since we got Siege of Mandalore. It's just yeah, crazy yeah. times we live in, crazy times. Um, so with that and, and thinking about uh, Solo 2 and you know possible futures of Star Wars, we, of course, are going to talk about Ahsoka today and kind of her past, present, and future as far as uh, what we have so far goes. And to kind of uh, get us started in that conversation, we are going to throw it over to Bill from Happy Beeps, who's going to give us some information about Ahsoka in terms of action figures, collecting, and all that good stuff that you can get only at happybeeps.net. Hey everyone, it's Bill from Happy Beeps. Today we're going to talk about Ahsoka Tano merchandising. Ahsoka has been produced 25 times as a toy since her introduction in the Clone Wars movie in 2008. That's 14 action figures, four bobbleheads, two die-cast cars, three Lego minifigs, and two plush toys, one from Disney and one from Hallmark. Those 25 toys are broken down into 18 from the, from the Clone Wars era and seven from Star Wars Rebels. 
They put Ahsoka in 41st place overall in terms of the characters that have been most popular in terms of toy production. That's the top 3% out of the 1,500 characters, locations, vehicles, and equipment that have been produced by the merchandisers since 1977. As far as characters introduced since 2008, Ahsoka is in 6th place behind only Rey, Finn, Poe, Kylo Ren, and BB-8. There are more Ahsoka toys than Jyn Erso toys, more than Count Dooku, and more than Captain Phasma. Why is this? What is it about Ahsoka that connects with us? Well, I'll tell you what I think. Star Wars in general, like a lot of great stories, is all about characters deciding what kind of a hero do they want to be. How are they going to use the power that they've been given? And we love it because we're all doing the same thing. We might not be Jedi Knights, but we're all the heroes of our own story. We have to decide day by day, minute by minute, what kind of a hero are we going to be? What kind of an impact do we want to make on the world around us? Ahsoka ultimately resonates with us because, well, life wasn't fair to Ahsoka. Just like it wasn't fair to Luke Skywalker or Rey or even Anakin. But even though life wasn't always fair, Ahsoka doesn't waver in her compassion or in her bravery or, most important, her faith that the light will win out over the dark. When the Jedi betray her, Ahsoka continues to serve the light. When her clones turn on her and try to kill her, she continues to serve the light. When she learns the truth that her master and mentor has become a Sith, she continues to serve the light. These are the kinds of things that give me hope. It's more than that Star Wars itself continues to be popular. It gives me hope that a character like Ahsoka Tano connects with boys and girls and men and women because she says a lot about what we should all aspire to. That's it for me. Head over to happybeeps.net for more about Star Wars toy collecting and publishing. My name is Bill. Stay safe. May the Force be with you. Your lightsabers will make a fine addition to my collection. It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. We need not be adversaries. The Emperor will show you mercy if you tell me where the remaining Jedi can be found. There are no Jedi. You and your Inquisitors have seen to that. Perhaps this child will confess what you will not. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask. But it's impossible. My master could never be as vile as you. Anakin Skywalker was weak. I destroyed him. Then I will avenge his death. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Alright, so we are back, and thank you, Bill, for uh, that insightful look into Ahsoka's um, action figures and collecting and, and all of that good stuff. As we start this discussion today, I know I've, I've talked ad nauseum about my love of Ahsoka, um, so I really am excited today to get y'all's opinion on the character um, and, and really deep dive into her arc with you guys so let's let's start out with just your first opinions of Ahsoka and Adriana. For you, what was it that like initially attracted you to her, or maybe made you not like her because there was that kind of reaction for a lot of people? Uh, I don't, I don't think that I. It's been a while, but I I was never. I, it was like a situation kind of like with C three PO and Jar Jar where. I didn't realize that 
there was such a large part of fandom that hated, uh, not hated her, but really disliked her. Um, because I think, too, like we had talked about earlier, I didn't watch Clone Wars when it was originally on air. Or like releasing new episodes uh so it was a little different for me and i i don't think i ever disliked her because i i was just in the mindset like oh this is more more anakin more obi-wan like this is what i this is my prequel stand love and heart is what i need <laughs> and so um I mean, I could understand. I, I mean, going back, I can definitely understand why um, she was not popular. But I, I think that goes back to, you know, what everybody knows is that we weren't supposed to like her um, at the beginning. You know, we were kind of supposed to see her, you know, and think she was kind of annoying. Um, and then ultimately, you know, she's going to grow on us. And she did. Um, but yeah, to, as far as like initial dislike, I never really initially disliked her. And I, I think too, um, maybe that's just because I was like excited to get the focus on a female Jedi for once. I mean, we have them in the background, but there's never, there's not really any in the foreground. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, Obi-Wan and Anakin. So when you first started watching Clone Wars, were you invested in Ahsoka or did that take some time because you were just coming for for the stuff you already knew? Uh, I think it yeah I think it might have taken a, a minute um, to to get used to her and to like get really invested in her storyline um, just because like I said we weren't supposed to really like her and not to say like I said I don't really I didn't never really not liked her I just didn't understand yeah, yeah. Mark, what about you? The point. For for you, because you were, uh, you know, you're the original generation of fans, so now you've got, what, uh, 30 years under your belt as a Star Wars fan, and then they come out with this animated series that you're supposed to take seriously, um, with this character that you're supposed to take seriously, who is, is snippy. Like, what was, your, what was your initial reaction to that? Well, it's interesting you set it up that way, because that's kind of how I was going into it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want an animated series to tell me the story of the Clone Wars, but okay, I'll give it a try. And, oh, my early, my, like, very first impressions of, like, the Clone Wars movie were not good. Like, I did not like the animation style. It was very rough. Um, I just didn't care for the look of it. Um and then, on the subject of Ahsoka, I was, I was one of those people who wasn't crazy about Ahsoka, but not for the reasons that some other people were. Like, I did not see her as the Jar Jar of the Clone Wars series. Um, it was, I, I never had strong feelings about her in that sense. I was just more confused as to why she was necessary if she's never mentioned in Revenge of the Sith. Like, to me, it felt like they were shoehorning a character in as Anakin's Padawan to be a, a feat to feature this series as a vehicle. But then beyond that, beyond these episodes, she wouldn't really have very much relevance because she obviously had to die 
because she doesn't appear in the movie. So I thought, of course, that's, that's the only possible thing. Of course, I, I'm saying all of this with a huge grin on my face because I have never been so wrong about anything in my life. <laughs> my my early impressions of the Clone Wars are so far away from the way I feel today that it's laughable. Um, so yeah, I was I was intrigued by the idea that Anakin had a Padawan because I thought, well, that brings up a lot of interesting things you could explore given his, where he ends up. Um, I didn't really mind that she was snippy. I, I, that was, to me, that was very in character for her that you know, she's a younger Padawan. She's going to be a little bit, you know, re- rebellious. I mean, I got that. That part didn't bother me at all. I was just more concerned with where this was all going. So, I, so, you know, if you 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 mentioned being concerned where this is going, and obviously, like now we have rebels and we have you know Siege of Mandalore. But if we had just seasons one through five of Ahsoka, you know, and and the last thing we see of her is her walking away from the order, do you feel like she's still relevant to the story, or oh, is it yeah. just a yeah? Given given those those seasons, like to that point in the story, I would had become a huge fan of Ahsoka. Um, so even just in that small amount of time, just the course of just a few seasons, I was completely won over. So when her story unfolded that way, and I was like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. Now I understand why she's not in Revenge of the Sith. That was very creative. I'm glad they weren't listening to fans like me who <laughs> 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 were saying that, hey, there's only one way her story can end, because obviously that's not the case. And I'm so very thankful that that was not the only outcome for her character yeah Filoni doesn't really kill a lot of people um if he kills anybody it's like something really impactful because even think about well I guess he wasn't really uh there at the end of Avatar but I was thinking about you know the king in Avatar um he doesn't doesn't kill him and you don't get a lot of killing people in Rebels so you don't get a lot of it I mean, you know except for Stormtrooper here Stormtrooper there but it always cracks me up. Yeah, well, but that's the thing, right? Like the deaths yeah, actually really mean something because he doesn't abuse death, you know? Like um he makes them mean something. So when we do have a Kanan or when we thought, you know, is Ahsoka dead or not, you know, we there was a a, a distraught uh feeling that came over came over fandom because we were so invested in this character who we thought was, oh, the only thing that that could possibly happen is she's going to die because she's not here in the timeline. Um, That says a lot to me. Yeah, the thing I like about Filoni's writing is, you know, we as fans, we get obsessed over the how. You know, how how does she leave the story? Or how does Kanan leave the story? And Filoni's more interested in the why. Like, you know, he wants to explore the, you know, what gets them to that point, not just what happens to, like, for them to leave the story, which is why the point you were making is that there are very few deaths, because he's more interested in what could happen to the character or what's going on in that character's life at the moment that everything changes, rather than what's their fate. I I feel like we're on a need-to-know basis. Yes. Dave... Especially more and more. <laughs> what does this mean, Dave? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, Dave does an amazing job before every episode painting the picture of what's happening in that episode, leading up to it, usually right after it. Um, but, you know, he gives us what we need to know to give the performance we need to give. 
Um, so for example, in between from when she walks away and when she comes back in Rebels, you know, Sam Witwer and I know an important part because we had to know it for our performance in Rebels. But there's so much of that time that I don't know um, because I guess I don't need to. But once, once we went to film it, I sat down and told you and Sam the story of what happened because then it yeah. real. Yeah, that, and, and he's... I think one of the things that makes Ahsoka such an interesting character in terms of, you know, how Filoni writes it is he's not trying to answer every question, you know? Uh, he leaves open ends there. Uh, he, you know, we could argue, you know, oh, he just always brings her back, Ahsoka lives, you know, all that stuff. But he's never rushing to be like, here's the next Ahsoka story, here's the next Ahsoka story. They just, they naturally flow in with the story that he's telling. Um, you know, it doesn't feel like, oh, Ahsoka is Filoni's character, so of course she's going to be in Rebels. It feels like a natural transition of, yeah, it would make sense that she would end up being the fulcrum uh, here and working behind the scenes and stuff like that. So it's interesting how her arc has has changed and how opinions about her have changed because Star Wars fans, we are notorious for overreacting <laughs> at the very beginning before um, characters really get their chance to to, you know draw themselves out and, and and go through that full arc so for for you guys was there a moment that like was the moment you were all in with ahsoka or um did you just like slowly start to like her until like you didn't even realize that she was one of your favorite characters i think it was the latter for me same um, <clears throat> just just over the course of the series Every time there was a story that featured Ahsoka, there was something about her development that was that just pulled me in. And I, I, I do remember this the the episode arc that completely like I, I realized that I had really crossed a threshold with her. Um, I can't think of the name of the episodes, but it's when she's she's stranded on the planet and she's being hunted by the Trandoshans. Padawan lost. Yes. That was the moment when I was like, oh, okay. I'm totally on board with Ahsoka. I love her story. Adriana, what about you? Uh, yeah, I think it was just kind of one of those things where um, you're already you're already in before you even know it, kind of thing. Um, and I I don't know. I can't really like indicate what specific episode it was. It just. It just happened, and I just realized, you know, at some point um, that any, I guess any time, like, like that there was a possibility that she was not going to make it or something like that, or not come back, but any time something like that happened that I realized that I needed her to come back or I needed her to be okay. Um, but it's, it's really funny. Uh like I, I, like I said, there's no specific episode, um, but I do really love. I, I, I guess if I had to pick one, it's the episode where uh, she's very insistent on going back for a Plo Koon. Um, hmm. Do you guys know what episode I'm talking about? It's an yeah. early episode. It's an early episode. So I, I can't remember that, the name of it. Um, but that one, when she was so adamant that, like that, there was that he was alive, that they were alive, that they could save him. And I think just having uh, someone so hopeful like that was really different for once in Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, like, 
we and we get to see more instances of it, right? Like with Leia, she's a hopeful character, but in the original trilogy, you know, we only have so many things that happen, whereas Ahsoka, it's constantly happening again and again, and she's constantly maintaining hope. She's constantly, like, the thing I love about Ahsoka and Siege of Mandalore kind of played this out is she's invested in the people, you know? Like, she's, it's never really about the order or the republic. It's about the people, you know? And that's something that I think she takes from Anakin that is she is able to to utilize it in a more healthy manner than than Anakin is able to because she to me she has a a better understanding of how to live with that jedi non-attachment thing um because i think we assume non-attachment means like not you're not connected with anybody and how is that even possible how can you be helpful to, to people if you you don't know them right um but i think the difference is, you know, Ahsoka is somebody who is is invested in people and cares for her friends, whereas Anakin is somebody who gets obsessed over it. It's more of a possessive type thing. So do you think, is that just naturally, you know, who Ahsoka is as a person? Do you think that's something she kind of developed in contrast to Anakin? Hmm. I always think of her as... To me, she's kind of a mirror to Anakin mm. because she has a lot of the same qualities that he does. Like the like the like you just mentioned the the way that she sort of focuses on people who are important to, to her in her life. And like uh, mentioning the episode about Plo Koon, there was also that episode with Anakin who couldn't let go of the idea of going to rescue R two D two. Yeah. He, yeah, he, like that was a great example of how he's becoming attached to people and to droids in a way that suggests that he can't let go of things. And yet, I see a lot of the same things in Ahsoka. But yet, she, because we know that her journey is towards light, it's not quite the same thing. And I can't quite put my finger on why it's different. Um, I think it might. <laughs> just something I was thinking about as you said it is um, not, uh, you know, Anakin has a lot of those moments that are like clear delineations of like, this is a thing that leads to the dark side. So like in before he even meets Ahsoka in Attack of the Clones, you know, he his mom dies and he slaughters that whole village at the woman, the children. And so um it it kind of moments like that are what i think taint or taint anakin's path does that make like you know what i'm yeah, saying so anakin, not, or ahsoka doesn't have those kind of moments it's so it's not really so much that because they face a lot of the same situations but it's what it's the choices that they make yeah that's the difference well, and that's kind of the difference between, you know, Luke and, and Anakin's journey is they end up in very similar situations, but Luke makes the choice, the different choice than Anakin. And I think Ahsoka is, like you said, Mark, she's a mirror, but kind of of the opposite because she is what Anakin should have done. She's the example of what he should have done uh, because, you know, she says to him at the end when she walks away, you know, and he says, I, yeah, I understand more than you know. And she's like, I know. Um, she she does what he can't, which makes it even more tragic for for Anakin. 
because so I have I have uh, and I know I've mentioned it to you guys, but for those of you who haven't heard it before, like a, a three strike theory is what I call it. And basically in fiction, you get three strikes and you're out and you can in those three mistakes, those mess ups, you can, you know, turn back to the light or turn back to the dark. For Anakin, it's interesting because there's actually two separate threes that I notice. There's the Jedi three, which is he loses Qui-Gon, he loses Ahsoka, he loses Obi-Wan, right? And that kills who he is as a Jedi. And then, but there's also the the female side and his relationship with women because he loses his mom, he loses Ahsoka, and he loses Padme. I find it really interesting that Ahsoka is in both of those categories. She's something that he lost from the Jedi side, and she's something that he lost from the you know, personal, emotional uh, side of things. Um, And I think that's important because, again, Anakin falls apart because he tries to he tries to break these different sections of his life and think that thinks that they won't influence each other. You know, oh, I'll get married. That won't influence how I'm going to act as a Jedi when that's not how life works. Whereas Ahsoka is able to say, "Okay, I am a Jedi when she was, you know, I'm a Jedi, but also like. I have these relationships with people and these people matter to me. So how do I protect them without putting myself, you know, towards the dark side? Um, Whether she, I don't think she even realizes it. I think that's just something that's inherent in her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think of her as someone who follows her ideals, but not necessarily the ideology because she's less concerned with the, you know, the rules that she is is what's right. Well, and Qui-Gon in Master and Apprentice says something to that nature of if our our order, if our code tells us one thing and the need of the people in front of us tells us another, is it any question what we should choose, hmm. you know? And we kind of have in the, the trio of Obi-Wan and Anakin and Ahsoka, we have Obi-Wan who's always going to choose the order, Anakin who's always going to choose himself, and Ahsoka is going to choose what's best for as many people as possible, which is really interesting. There's, um, I don't know if anybody saw it, but it just, it reminds me of this, uh, somebody had posted on Twitter, um, how they rank, uh, which Jedis are the best, or, like, how they rank, um, their, their favorite Jedis, and it's basically about how they treat the clones, <laughs> and, ah. <laughs> Oh. And and I always and that was like well obviously Ahsoka is uh, going to be on the top of that list because um like her relationship with the clones is is a nice one and I think really episode uh the the Siege of Mandalore arc really just solidifies that you know um when we get to Order sixty six we see a lot of the uh, um, not just from the last episode but we see a lot of um, Jedi's just trying to like like they're they're killing they're not trying to figure out why the clones have turned on them they're just killing trying to survive and Ahsoka is also trying to survive but she doesn't kill she knocks them out um you know and then like she tries to get to the bottom of what's happening with the clones um, what are the other Jedi are doing that? You know. Well, and it's uh, and, and like and I said, she's not a she's not a Jedi at that point. But you know, but what I, mean? <laughs> I would argue. I mean, I would argue the the point of Rafa uh, saying, you know, you act like a Jedi, or at least what I would like an, a Jedi to act I'd like, like to is is you know exactly that. It's telling us like, yes, she's not a Jedi in terms of 
Obi-Wan and Anakin and Yoda in terms of being in the order, but she is who the Jedi should be, right? Because it's kind of an ends justify the means kind of thing because Yoda hides the fact that the dark side is clouding their vision. He, you know, we see him attacking clones um, and killing them outside of the Jedi temple. Like for him in the prequels, the difference is the ends justify the means. As long as the Republic stays intact, the Jedi order stays intact and whatever I have to do to get there is fine. You know, um, and that's that's something that is part of his character arc is because that changes when we see him in Empire Strikes Back. For Ahsoka, there the ends never justify the means. You know, she's not willing to do to sacrifice what she believes in to get to something. You know, and and that's a a level of faith that I think we can all aspire to. Um, because it's it's hard to do that, right? Like she mentions in Siege of Mandalore that she was basically raised a soldier just like the clones, you know? Um, and to break apart from that carbon copy of what the Jedi should be, which is what the Jedi are doing in the prequels, they're just making an assembly line of Jedi, right? Go through these stages. This is how you become a Jedi Knight, how you become a Jedi Master. Uh, this is how you become a, an ARC Trooper. This is how you become a clone commander. Like there's parallels there for sure of like, What's our individuality have to say about us? Um, you know, what is our where where is humanity? How do we define that that aspect of ourselves? Yeah, it's telling that she that the person who who shows the most humanity towards the clones is the person who used to be a Jedi. Yeah, um, I mean Obi Wan. You know, Obi Wan has some close relationships with clones uh, that we know, but. As you've already mentioned, Obi-Wan's allegiance is to the Order. Um, so he's going to protect the Order first. Um, whereas Ahsoka does not have that allegiance anymore. Um, and that that whole dynamic between Ahsoka and Obi-Wan and the conflict that, that they, they had in the Siege of Mandalore in regards to the Jedi Order and the politics of it was one of my favorite parts of that entire arc. Yeah, I would love to get more of that in... Uh in the Obi-Wan series, whether we actually see them talk again or it's just Obi-Wan kind of wrestling with those thoughts, you know? So let's dig into, let's dig into those relationships because obviously Ahsoka's relationships are very important to her. And uh, our friend Aurora over on Facebook, um, her 13 year old can't decide if her relationship with Anakin is more like a father and daughter or brother and sister. So Adriana, for you, how do you kind of define their relationship? Um, I think ultimately it's a little bit of both. Um, I, I mean, it. I feel like it starts out more, um, you know, when we first meet her and she meets Anakin, there's like this like banter and they're, you know, um, trying to like feel each other out. And I think that's more of a brother-sister type uh, relationship, but then you know, um, he, they learn, and, and like he does, he does ultimately like teach her, and but inversely at the same time, like she's teaching him. So I, I think it's a, it's a combination of both. It's not solidly one or the other. Um, and as someone who has a a, a brother, um. I mean, I, I see, I see, I see the brother sister, but also I don't learn from my brother the way I would learn from like my, like my, my dad. So that's why I say it's a little bit of both and it, it's hard to 
put a clear line on it. And I think really, really uh, towards the end, um, it, I, I don't know, like, it's really hard for me well, to clearly say one or the other when I see elements of both. Um, because I, there are certain things that, like, um, uh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I just, like, you kind of saying that got me thinking that it's, it's like a, a sibling relationship, but it's one where, you know, the older kid is kind of the uh, the, the practice kid, you know, where you, you kind of make your <laughs> mistakes with them and you learn from them, right? And then the younger sibling comes up and, and learns from the mistakes that the, you know, sibling in front of them made, you know, um, and then they become better for it, right? Like, um, I think there's kind of... There, a couple basic dynamics that you have between siblings and one is either the the younger one learns from the mistakes of the older one and becomes better for it or you know the younger one is trying to break out of the shadow of the older one um and becomes worse for it you know they they start doing irrational things i think ahsoka is somebody who sees anakin um knows his good heart but maybe not the best decision maker you know knows that he has some darkness in him and so with that she's able to to say okay like here's where anakin is flawed like let me reflect on that um and so it does evolve because she becomes more mature than than anakin to where i think if their relationship had continued she would almost become the master and he would become the padawan again yeah that's that's why i say it's really hard to say that it's one or the other i think there's um, dynamics in play to say that it's both. Um, Mark, what about and, you? Where do you where do you come down on that? I totally see them as brother and sister, but until Adriana said what she did about the little of both, I didn't really consider that. But that's very true. Um, the the very nature of uh, teacher and student, a master and apprentice, um, mentor, uh, lends itself to a parental type relationship. Yeah. Um, so the structure of their working relationship is very parent-child. But as you've pointed out, they each learn from each other. Therefore, that's, it's closer to being more like siblings. Because, you know, I'm, in my family, I'm the older brother, and I have a, one younger brother. Um, <clears throat> I, don't, I can't speak for him, so I don't know if he's learned from my mistakes. But I can definitely say that I look at him as the person he's grown up to be, and he teaches me things. And I admire the way that he handles certain situations. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, the, the, the sibling thing is not always the older one teaches the younger. It can sometimes go both, both ways. And when you're mentioning the fact that Ahsoka matures over the course of the series, she matures a lot. I mean, think about where she starts to where her story ends in The Siege of Mandalore. It seems like there's like 20 years difference. Like just it really does. Maturity. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder how much of that is because of the relationship she has with Anakin. Like how, like his, his mistakes helped to guide her and teach her. And you have to also wonder if that was maybe the reason why they were put together in the first place. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that that's kind of what Yoda had in mind. Um, was that he sees two potentially volatile personalities... <laughs> somehow learning from one another to be better Jedi. One. He's two, amazing. Three. I've watched these recordings to help me with my own saber training. Five. You should have seen six, him in person. Again. Anakin one, Skywalker. Two, he was three, my master. Pivot. 
Kanan said he was the greatest warrior the Jedi had in the Clone Wars. He was powerful. Rarely lost a battle. But what a surprise people was how kind he was. He cared deeply about his friends. And looked out for them until the end. Yeah, I mean, that kind of is pointed out in the Clone Wars movie that, like, Yoda sends Ahsoka to Anakin so that he can work on letting her go, right? Which he... I mean... It's it's arguable if he ever even does. You guys know I have my theory about you know her staying on Malachor um, during the the original trilogy during that Galactic Civil War because she is fighting that darkness that is in Anakin. You know she's that light um, that still is attached to him that eventually Luke is able to to pull out of him. So I think in some ways you know it kind of backfired on Yoda because. Um, they obviously like Ahsoka didn't wasn't the thing that made the difference with her, her him turning to the dark side. But at the same time, like you think about what would have happened if he didn't have that role of being her teacher. Right. Like you think about people who who don't have anybody that they feel like looks up to them or any responsibility towards anybody. And they live a little more recklessly. Right. Like they. They live maybe not in the uh, the safest of manners. I know, like, even myself as a teacher, like, the things I put on social media, I'm like, what if, you know, one of my students finds this? Am I okay with them seeing this, you know, um, kind of thing? And so that's, you know, something that maybe is, is going on with Anakin is, okay, do I want Ahsoka seeing this? And at the same time, Ahsoka's like, well, I can already see it because you have such a close relationship with that person that you're going to see their flaws even when you maybe don't want to or they don't want you to. What about Obi-Wan? What do you, what do you what are your thoughts on her relationship with Obi-Wan because he's kind of like a secondary master for her, you know? I feel like that one is more a little bit more clear cut uh like a father-daughter type relationship. Um I don't know. <laughs> just that I think that's there's not as much of that uh, playfulness, I guess, that we get with Anakin and Ahsoka, and um, and even Anakin and, and Obi Wan. You know, they are yeah. more playful. Yeah, yeah, and like especially in the in the Siege of Mandalore, like, uh, you know, his the way he approaches her and the way he interacts with her is it's very reserved. Um, you know, and like he's he you can tell that he's happy that she's there but he's a little bit more i guess apprehensive about the situation and inversely you know anakin's like excited he's like a little kid he's like (laughs) yes like this is my sister she's back and and so definitely i think it's a little bit that one's a little bit more clear cut for me that's why i just oh i love that the dynamic between the three of them in those episodes i just was like when it when I saw it, I was like, "Oh my gosh! Give me a whole season of this! I want to see this!" Because <laughs> there, uh, I was so fascinated by the contrast of, like you said, like Anakin was this puppy dog. Oh my gosh, she's back! She's back! Oh my gosh! And you know, he was carrying those lightsabers around everywhere so that he had the chance to present them to her when she came back. You know, so he was so excited. And yet Obi Wan is very reserved and very guarded. He's very emotionally yeah. guarded, and. It's interesting because, like you said, Adriana, their relationship is so much more straightforward because of, like we we already said, Obi-Wan's allegiance to the Order. See, to, to Ahsoka, he represents the Order. 
because he's very much by the book. He's very much the, the model Jedi as the Order has crafted him to be. And she has rejected that. She's rejected that view of the Jedi. And so I think Obi-Wan recognizes this, and he sees, despite his affection for her, he sees her as someone who has turned her back on what he stands for. And that just creates this great conflict between the two of them, who obviously have great affection for one another. Yeah. But it's it that, that scene where they're like having that tit-for-tat moment where she's calling him out for his motivations to go save the Chancellor. It's like the best awkward Thanksgiving dinner, family <laughs> dinner that you could possibly have. Like, it was just these two opposing viewpoints coming to a head, you know. Um, I just loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, and it, it creates that tension there, too, because... One thing I, I like about, you know, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka's relationship is Obi-Wan never tries to um, step on Anakin's toes in terms of being a teacher. Like, we see multiple times um, during the Clone Wars where he's like, ah, you're following Anakin's lead, aren't you? Which is basically him going like, that's not how you're supposed to do it, but, you know, I've got to let Anakin make his own mistakes, you know, let you make your own mistakes so you can learn from them. But then... You know, there's that grace that he he provides when they're in the order. But once she's out of the order, you know, he almost views it as a blanket like, oh, you don't believe in these ideals anymore. Where we see with Ahsoka, like she believes in the ideals. She doesn't believe in the order where, you know, Obi-Wan believes in the order, but maybe isn't as as focused on the ideals as he should be, which, of course, is his arc, because when we see him in A New Hope, there's a major difference there. He's refocused on the force. He's focused on the people. Um, to me, he goes to Alderaan not just because he wants, you know, he to protect Luke and Leia, but because of the people of Alderaan, right? Like, he's, he's a Jedi in name only. There's no order anymore. So is he going to live those ideals? And that's something that maybe he learned from Ahsoka, is that you can be a Jedi without this order, uh, where he doesn't necessarily see that. That's part of his problem with Qui-Gon is he doesn't understand he can't he can't wrap his head around being a Jedi but not following the rules of the Jedi Order you know or having the Jedi Order as an establishment so it's it's almost in a way like a teacher you know going like I don't know how I could teach without a classroom well you know how many of us have had to figure that out now you know um or you know somebody who's supposed who becomes a parent unexpectedly, you know, and their parents aren't around, you know, or they don't have a support system. How do I, how do you be a parent without that? And it's like, you are because you have to be, you are because you're living the practices of, of this. And that's something that Ahsoka really comes to, it comes to fruition for her in Siege of Mandalore. That's kind of, to me, her journey there is her figuring out how to be a Jedi without being a Jedi. So that when we get to rebels, um, which is my personal favorite version of Ahsoka, then you you really get to see her come into her own and be um, the model to me of what somebody who is living the Jedi ideals and the Jedi practices should be. So when just in terms of her overall arc in in Rebels, um, Mark, what what were your thoughts having her in there? Do you think? That it was it was good for her character. Do you think that there was too much of a jump of understanding without having things like the Siege of Mandalore when we got season two of three of Rebels? Well, there was certainly that missing piece, um, but I don't think it was. It certainly didn't 
impede my ability to enjoy her appearance in Rebels. Um, I I don't think it was a given that she would be in Rebels. Um, and then when she did appear, it was like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, you know, rubbing my hands together. Now we get to see, like, like where, you know, now this is post-Vader. Like, there's obviously going to be some some interaction with them at some point. That has to be where this is headed. And you would think that I would have learned from my experience with the Clone Wars <laughs> <laughs> to not, to not ex- like fixate on a certain outcome. <laughs> Star Wars because, fans never learn. What are we talking about? You know, it's like, it's like the thing I like to say about Luke is like people have this idea that Luke should not have ever, like once he learned all his lessons in Empire, he should have come back the perfect Jedi and then never made those mistakes again. I'm not one who ex- who subscribes to that theory. Because I know that in life, we continue to make the same mistakes again and again, and hopefully we keep learning from them so that we learn how to not keep making the same kinds of mistakes. But, I again, I was thinking that the end game was finally going to be her fate. Like, this was going to finally put a bow on what happens to Ahsoka, and just like before... Yeah, Filoni and crew said, "You know what? Don't don't be so concerned with the with the how. Pay, let's pay more attention to the you know how she gets there and what's happening to her. And because because what you think is happening isn't necessarily happening. So I also completely agree with the idea to keep her more pulled back from the series. Like and she was not she didn't become a central character. She wasn't supposed to uh, because that show." had to feature the rebel crew. I mean, the, the ghost crew. They had to be the focus. Um, so Ahsoka was just a guest star, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I think that, you know, um, honestly, like, her character arc is a testament to having, like, one vision, you know, one unified vision, because even, you know, we got E.K. Johnston's book, uh, Ahsoka book, which is fantastic, but... Filoni was still consulted on that. He still, you know, had the the say of, okay, this, this, yes, we can do this, this, no, this doesn't make sense for what we're doing for her later on, right? They, he had this overarching vision with her, which I think is something that allows for us to, um, you know, to see that full arc and for things like, you know, um, season two of Rebels, um, Twilight of the Apprentice, you know, to leave those open ends and to not feel cheated, but to feel like, okay, th- there's possibility here, like, it makes sense for the story. Um, because, I mean, like you said, we, everybody was, I was watching uh, Twilight of the Apprentice, like, emotionally ready for her to die, and then she didn't, you know? Um, uh, maybe. And so, yeah, right? <laughs> it was very unclear. It was very unclear, yeah. which was, I mean, is a very Star Wars thing to do, but I think, you know, from going from even early Clone Wars to all the way through the end of Rebels and, and everything in between. Um, it's a it's a very clear story for Ahsoka. And yes, she makes mistakes again and she has to learn from them and she's never perfect, you know, even all the way through the end of, of Rebels. But she is somebody who, you know, her storyline is so clear that it's something that we can really hold on to. So, uh, Adriana, for you in Rebels, do you think Ahsoka... Um, was brought in effectively? Do you think her her arc in the, in that made sense, or did it feel for you like maybe Filoni was just trying to bring his character back into it? Uh, I think 
kind of how like Mark put it, the fact that she was kind of like a guest uh, star. Um, so that whole aspect, like it made it easier to say, okay, this is just another like um, point to connect the stories rather than just trying to shoe her shoehorn her in. Uh, so I really appreciated that because um, I felt like for her it was only for this it was for specifically for rebels it was her only giving um and she didn't pull away from or take away from the the main story which is of the ghost crew so which is uh, hard to do with a big character like that yeah um so i i really enjoyed it um (laughs) and i just go back to that to that episode and and you know i was at the edge of my seat the entire time like what's gonna happen what's going on so um i i really liked her in that what and i and you know thinking about her arc overall when when we see her start off in the clone wars movie she shows up you know ready to be a jedi and be a hero and go out and do these great things and the more she becomes a Jedi, I think in the truest sense of, of what a Jedi should be, the less she's worried about being at the front of things, you know? Um, she's very adamant in the Ahsoka novel that she can't be on the front lines. That's not who she can be anymore. So that's why she is a fulcrum, because she's putting those pieces together, but she's not the one who's supposed to be, you know, um, at the front of everything and the focus of everything, because that failed before when she tried to do that. You know, that's what what led to her having to leave the order and, and redefine what her life is. And so it to me, it makes a lot of sense then when you get things like, um, you know, the Ahsoka novel and her becoming a fulcrum, the things we see in Rebels with her and all the way to the end of. Uh, rebels where you're like oh she's back where was she over you know during the whole civil war she was doing something in the background to to keep the pieces moving but she was never supposed to be at the front and so thinking about her whole journey um we have this idea in star wars of the the cambellian hero's journey which obviously you know luke goes through uh anakin kind of messes up the his his own hero's journey in the prequels and then follows through with it in the original trilogy but there's also the heroine's journey which um to kind of differentiate between them i'm not an expert in either one but basically how i understand it is the hero's journey is more of an external thing going to save the galaxy you know like luke does and then come back home and and teach those things um in in the very cambellian way whereas the hero's journey or excuse me the heroine's journey is more internal where the heroine goes out and realizes that the power you know, that they need, the strength that they need was within them the whole time. And so they're able to realize, you know, they're, as, as it's said in the heroine's journey, they're inner goddess. So, of course, you know, everything has a masculine and feminine dynamic, you know, between that. So we could, you know, go into that. But just for Ahsoka, do you think that she goes on more of a hero's journey where it's more of an external thing about how she influences others or more of a heroine's journey? Adriana, where do you where do you come down on that for for Ahsoka? Oh, I think a lot of hers is internal, um, and like you know, cause she, the it's very. I, I, I mean, at least for me, um, and and I say that, um, and I say this not because like, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying to like think, formulate my thoughts, but so I say not as external because you know we had. 
the story. We had the prequel trilogy, and um, like without her, if you don't see her, you don't really get. You don't really see. Um, if you don't, I've never watched the Clone Wars. You don't really get to see her effect and her growth or anything like that. Um, and then, I'm sorry. Well, I think I think that you like she's she's not designed to save the galaxy, right? Which is I think the yeah. point you're trying to make. But she she is a representation of the Jedi, you know, um, where. We see her come in in Clone Wars feeling like that's what she's supposed to do. Yeah, she uh, she has her moments where she looks like she could save the galaxy, especially in the Siege of Mandalore. And she is leaping from, from ship to ship. She is absolutely front and center as the star star of that sh- of that vehicle. Um, which is interesting because the rest of the way that the siege plays out it does become more of an internal thing because the the focus, the events, the big events are happening off screen because we've already seen them. They're in Revenge of the Sith. Um, so everything that happens from that big siege moment where she has her big heroic, you know, that, that great, she lands with her lightsabers and the explosions behind her and it's just like this action movie scene. Um, we get that right up front and then the rest of it is really her dealing with trying to figure out what's happening as things around her start to change um, and her and the relationships around her start to change. Um, I think seeing her meet that kind of challenge with, you know, the, the, what she does and we've, what we've already discussed in her choices to not kill the, the clone troopers says a lot about her internal values. So I see it as more of a combination of the two things. Well, and I mean, definitely there's there's bits of both in there. And uh, I, I think something important to consider is what we see with Ahsoka early uh, in... I'm forgetting the name of the episode, but basically the one where her and Barriss get trapped underground and Luminar is like, well, I guess it's time for our Padawans to die and Anakin <laughs> won't let that happen. Um, but Ahsoka never loses the faith that Anakin is going to find a way to save them. Um, she always has that hope down to the very last moments. And and when she does get to that point, she's very accepting of, of her fate. You know, she's able to let go of that idea of I'm the one who's going to be the make or break for, for the galaxy, you know, kind of swagger. Um, and as, you know, the story progresses, we see in Siege of Mandalore, we see in Twilight of the Apprentice, she never loses the faith that, that Anakin is going to come and save them, you know? Um, she never loses that hope that she even says to Maul, like, you're wrong about Anakin. I know him. He would never do that. And she's obviously the one that's wrong there. You know, she was wrong about Barriss. Um, she was wrong about the Jedi. But she still continues to keep that faith in, in the people that she cares about. You know, she continues to believe that there's still good in Anakin. She, even in seeing Ezra struggling with the dark side, she trusts that he's never going to... Um, you know, fall to that. Even with seeing Kanan struggling as a teacher, she keeps 
she reminds him, you know, that he's he's doing a good job, that he's not supposed to be the teacher that other Jedi were. He's supposed to be the teacher that he is. And so in that sense, I think it is very much a heroine's journey, um, which excites me thinking about, you know, the, the potential of this Ahsoka Sabine adventure, because I think for Sabine, you know, she's definitely going on um, a heroine's journey as she struggles with what's going on on with her family and everything like that in Rebels. Well, the, you know, the iconography is very telling. Um, those final shots in Rebels that, sh- that show Sabine and Ahsoka leaving together. And Ahsoka standing in the distance and she's wearing the robe. And she looks very Gandalf-like. And, you know, Gandalf is more of an internal hero, not necessarily somebody that is a you know, external action hero. So it's interesting to see that her... Her development and evolution is leading towards a more spiritual awakening than, like you said, saving the galaxy. Um, so I think that's definitely where she's headed. Um, I'm just not going to make any predictions as to how she's. <laughs> <laughs> you, you finally learned your lesson. I think there. I finally learned my lesson. So. You know, thinking about that, we our friend Nick Richardson uh, gave us this question over on in our Facebook group. Speaking of rebels and and her talking about not being a Jedi anymore, that's something that comes up multiple times. Do you think she truly is a Jedi? Is she not a Jedi? Is she is she our example of like I like to believe you can be a Jedi without being in the Jedi Order or I don't know. Where do you guys come down on on her as a Jedi or not a Jedi? I I believe that she is the most Jedi-like of any of the Jedi, but not... Like, we've already discussed the difference between the Jedi Order and the Jedi Philosophy, because the two are not always the same. That's and, a good distinction, yeah. Yeah, so I think at, in terms of the Jedi Philosophy, she, she lives... She lives it. She walks the walk and she talks the talk. Whereas the Jedi Order did not necessarily follow their own ideology um, because they didn't always do that. So in that, framing it that way, I would say that she is very Jedi-like. But when she says she's no Jedi, she's speaking about the Order. She's not speaking about what the Jedi stood for. Yeah, and I think it's kind of how we mentioned how you brought up what uh, Rafa says about how um, she's not a Jedi, but she's what uh, Jedi should be. So that's what I think is that um, Ahsoka is what the Jedi are supposed to be um, and what they and she's doing what Jedi are supposed to do. Um, And she's um, acting like and she's putting others um in uh, in front of herself so she is what the to me she is what a jedi should be um and like mark said there is um she when she says i'm no jedi she's rejecting the order yeah 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 i definitely i definitely think that's that's an important distinction to make because i think that's a distinction that is made throughout the saga, right? Um, you know, why is Qui-Gon such a, a good Jedi? Because he's not bordered in by by the code, by the order. You know, all the the Jedi that we 
aspire to be that we think of as the ultimate best of you know the jedi are ones that break from the order you've got qui-gon you've got ahsoka um You've got Luke. You know, think about what Luke, what happens to Luke. What happens to Luke when he start restarts the Jedi Order is things fall apart. Kylo Ren, you know, he goes, you know, all of that stuff that happens in the sequel trilogy in part happens because he tries to reestablish the Order, which he believed, you know, that's what Yoda was telling him to do. Um, but even looking at Obi-Wan and Yoda in the original trilogy, there's no formal order anymore, and I think there's a sense that they are f- through that ex- the exile that they go through and realizing that maybe the order itself wasn't the best thing. Um, you you get to really live the practices. You know, I, you can't look at the Jedi and the Force and everything without looking and making the parallels with like our you know religion in our world, right? And um, so. I'm in Houston. That's the Joel Olstein's main church is here, and it's this whole big thing, and it has its own road. It's ridiculously big, right? But when Harvey hit, he never opened the doors until he basically got shamed by people on social media. He never opened the doors for people to come stay inside um, there, where you know smaller churches were doing that, small community centers, like everybody else was participating, and he was not. Right. Um, That's happened. That happened again, you know, recently with COVID. And it's like. For me, as a Christian, I don't want to be in that kind of order of being a Christian. You know, I want to be somebody who lives the practices that, you know, that I believe in from the Bible or just in terms of being a good person. Right. And I don't need and a lot of people have kind of evolved to this. I don't need a set order or a set structure or you know this big flashy thing that the jedi order had become to say okay this validates the faith that i have um which i think is something that that ahsoka comes to understand is being a part of an organization is not what validates your beliefs in your faith your actions are yeah i was oh i I agree I was raised evangelical, and one of the, the things that's, that stuck out to me is when I was growing up, and one of the lessons that I was taught was, um, and I didn't want this to like turn into a religious discussion, because I know that a lot of people have very strong opinions on it, um, but the idea of being a living witness where you are known by, by your behavior rather than just what you espouse or what you say you believe in. Um, again, it's going back to the, you know, walk the walk. If you say that you, you stand for something and you believe in something and then you don't, in your actions, contradict that, then you're undermining your message to the world. You're undermining, mm-hmm. you know, the message of God. And I think that's a great parallel to what we see in Star Wars because, um, you know, Ahsoka made a choice um, at, a, at an age where she saw a crossroad and she decided that her values were not shared by the institution she was brought up in. I have a great affinity for that because I saw myself in Ahsoka. Um, I say I was raised evangelical. I'm no longer an evangelical. And I would rather not get into the details of why that is, but um, part of it has to do with seeing that what I was being taught did not sync with what I felt internally. 
yeah. and what I knew to be true. Um, and that's why I find Ahsoka so inspiring is because she saw the same thing and she made that difficult choice to go her, her own way and live her life. Um, and it just, it brings tears to my eyes. That scene brings tears to my eyes every single time I watch it. Well, there's, there's a quote from, I, I believe it's St. Francis that I really love, um, that says, tell everyone about Jesus and use words if you have to. Um, now, we've been talking about religion a lot and stuff like that. And let, let's just, I want to make it clear to everybody, um, if you're a new listener or whatever, like we bring up these ideas to make parallels and, and to kind of wrap our head around these big concepts and ideas that are presented in Star Wars. But if you have a different belief than us or, or whatever, like that's totally cool. Um, but again, we all kind of bring our own lens to that. And so for me, that quote of tell everybody about Jesus and use words if you have to is the kind of the, the action speak louder than words kind of thing, right? Like you don't need to be out on the street corner, you know, Bible thumping or anything like that. Like you need to be, you know, living the practices, serving the poor, investing in other people, you know, being there for your friends when they're in need. And that's something that we see in Ahsoka. And that's one thing, you know, that I really love about Ahsoka in Rebels is she's the mentor, she's the teacher, but she never forces her ideals onto Kanan and Ezra, you know? Um, she's always allowing, even though she knows at times Ezra may not be, you know, making the best decision, she allows for him to make his own mistakes so that he can learn from it. And in doing so, the combination of her and Kanan doing that, I think is, is what allows us to get the powerful ending there where he goes from, you know, being the selfish kid who just is trying to get his next meal to somebody who is selfless and, you know, going into the great unknown. Um, you know, he's, he's not just talking about being a Jedi, like we see in, uh, season one and, and parts of season two, where he's more concerned with getting a laser sword and things like that, you know, um, but we see somebody who is willing to sacrifice everything um, because of the faith that he has in this vision that the Force gave him. Um, to me, that's that's something that he do doesn't happen for him if Ahsoka is not around because she's kind of that example of living the practices without having to be stuck with what's my title or, or anything like that. Um, Adriana, for you... Like, where do you come down on Ahsoka as, is she a model of what the Jedi should be? Is she more of an example of what was wrong with the Jedi in the prequels? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think, uh, when I think of Ahsoka, I kind of also think about, like, the other Jedi who, um, like Qui-Gon, uh, and... I feel like this is kind of goes hand in hand, you know, like, is she a Jedi? Um, and, and so she's what we want to see the Jedi do. We, what, what the Jedi should aspire to be. So, uh, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it's like they go hand in hand. So, well, it, it's kind of like the idea, you know, that, um, the the uh, son talks about in Mortis where you know there can be no light without dark or dark without light you know um, Ahsoka we don't look at Ahsoka as a model Jedi without the 
you know, darkness of what the Jedi Order had become in the prequels, you know? Um, but we also don't have hope for the next generation of Jedi uh, if we don't have characters like Ahsoka and Luke. And, and I think one of the things that's really good about the ending of Rise of Skywalker uh, with Rey rising up after all the Jedi reconnecting with her is that idea that we're going to take all these mistakes, we're going to learn from them, you know, the greatest teacher failure is, and we're going to create whatever Rey goes on to create will be better than what was before because she will have learned from these mistakes. Whether whether you think that's handled effectively or not, I think that's the message that they're they're trying to convey there. So Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you have um, more thoughts moment, on that? Well, that moment specifically kind of reminded me of <laughs> Avatar. And you know, the whole thing about Avatar is when they're in the Avatar state, they connect to the past and they're able to learn from, you know, past avatars and that is, you know, like something that and Aang, when he's you know fighting Ozai, like he's he's thinking about, do I have to really kill? Um, and so he has he has all that knowledge, but ultimately he makes the choice to just remove his bending, um, you know. And so I see a lot of kind of similarities, and with that, where Ray, no, whatever she chooses, she has, you know, these she has the voices of the past um, to talk to and to connect with and she's able to ultimately use that and and uh, we don't know if Ahsoka's in the world between worlds at this point or I think that's the hope right that she's not dead mm-hmm. um, and so uh, hopefully wherever Ahsoka is she's able to kind of part- uh, partake in, in shaping and forming something more successful than what the order was yeah yeah for sure and i mean there's uh, the ideas that we've talked about the whole time of like you know the the balance between structure and faith and belief and action and that kind of that tension is is what makes it hard to be a jedi i think you know the reason that being a sith that being a darksider is the quick and easy path is none of that matters because the Sith Order doesn't represent anything to anybody. You know, they're not looking up to the Sith Order. At least nobody who is is a good person, I guess you could say, is looking up to the Sith going like, ah, oh, that's how I can help the galaxy, you know? Um, but the, the Jedi do have to deal with that, that morality issue. And so, again, going to do the ends justify the means, we kind of get different looks at that between Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and as we bring our conversation to an end for today one thing I was thinking about as we were prepping for the show is is how Dave Filoni somehow managed to not just give us one good satisfying ending for Ahsoka's character but four we got four satisfying <laughs> endings for her character. Think about that. Because we got we got her walking away from the Order in Season 5. If that's the last thing we see for Ahsoka, it's pretty satisfying, right? Um, we have what we saw with Season 7. And as tragic as that is, it's extremely satisfying. We got her walking off into the darkness in Season 2 of Rebels. And while... We definitely wanted to know if Ahsoka lived or not. That was not satisfying. (laughs) But in terms of storytelling, I feel like it was really satisfying. I was not satisfied with that. Okay, okay. We'll we'll get to that. (laughs) We'll get to that. And then then the very ending of Rebels, um, which 
again, it's not the end of her story, but it's it's the punctuation of that particular sentence. So for you guys, and Mark, I'm going to let you take this one first because I know you got thoughts already. <laughs> Which of those four do you think was handled best and why? Well, you know, when you frame it as handled best, that's kind of a tricky thing because at the time, I would say there were certain endings that I liked more than others. Um, I I think her walking away from the order is, for reasons I've already stated, is the one that has the most emotional punch for me. Because um, I see so, so much of myself in that story. But in terms of... So we'll jump to the other the other end of the spectrum. So what happens to her on Malachor during at the end of Twilight of the Apprentice, which was very, very vague, um, was very frustrating to me. <laughs> uh, because, again, I was going into it thinking this was going to be the end point for her story. So, like, what what's going to happen? And the way it was sort of left in that kind of, like, is she dead? Is she alive? Is she now part of the Force? Like, what's going on? I felt like it was a cop-out. And I was... Not somebody that when I've never been somebody that goes online and starts hating on Star Wars, but I definitely expressed my dissatisfaction. Like, like <laughs> I felt like I felt like I was cheated out of a final end because I at the time I thought Floaty just cannot bear to kill her off. So he's going to like craft this ambiguous. And when he was in interviews, he was kind of being coy about it. Well, you know, you kind of could look at it a certain way, and he, um. But now looking back to see, like, where it, like, just in that show itself, all I had to do was wait, what, another season? When was, like, when? Yeah, no, she, um. Second season or third season? Second season was when, yeah, second season was was when she walks off into the darkness and then she comes back uh, in season three in World Between Worlds. Okay, okay, so I only had to wait one season to be, yet again, proven wrong that there was more to her story um, and that was always the plan. Um, so yeah, in retrospect, I look back on that with a lot of fondness because I was, you know, obviously uh, being impatient as, as we fans often are. Um, so it's not like, I, I don't know. It's like, I feel like because we still have not seen her complete story and I feel like we, probably will have to wait quite a while before we see any kind of an ending for Ahsoka. Um, because, I mean, think about it. Have we had other characters in Star Wars where we, we're we seeing the arc of their story in fragments and then we go back in time to see other parts of it? Have we had any other character like this? I mean, technically speaking, Anakin, we went backwards, but it was a much bigger picture it wasn't so much like like you said little fragments and and almost a jumping back and forth you know between them um but that's that's a star wars idea is being iterative and going back in time and figuring out how they got there but i think you're definitely onto something that like ahsoka is the one we probably do it with the most um just because everything we get makes us hungrier for more you know when we get her in rebels we're like whoa that's a big jump how did we get there you know um when we even when we get her at the end of of season four of rebels we're like okay what happened in between because the two things that we get are not unnaturally different but they are starkly different and 
what makes it so intriguing for me is is suspecting i suspect that feloni knows where her story ends like I, oh pretty, yeah for sure. sure he knows 100%. exactly where she, where her story ends so it's that knowledge that that's what he's building towards that makes following her journey so fascinating um all the dips and dives and is she or isn't she and like all the stuff that he's doing with her character is so much fun because I, at this point i'm just kind of going to sit back and enjoy the ride uh, but he definitely knows where he's taking us and you know so it's kind of hard for me to pick the best ending for her because we haven't seen the whole story wow that was that was a very felony way to answer that question <laughs> uh, I learned, adriana I learned from the master <laughs> for I'm you gonna, okay um I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with uh, Mandalore and and just because um, it was very emotional for me, um, not just in terms of her story, but how um, how we see Anakin right before and how he is with her and their relationship and and how happy he is. And then you just go and you take that and you and you're like, wait, this is literally right before Revenge of the Sith. And you just like it. It's a, it, it carries a lot of weight. Um, and and to be able to see her, how she, you know, is able to escape Order 66 and how she's able to save Rex. Um, it was just it, it, it there was just a lot. It was just I was just full of emotion. I don't yeah. Know, the other way. Um, and I think just, you know, seeing her drop the lightsaber at the end and seeing Vader pick it up. Uh, God, I can't, I still can't talk about it. It's so, it's so emotional. It's, it's it, a gut uh, punch. <laughs> yeah. So I think for me, that's, I guess, my favorite quote unquote ending. Um, it, can I just bring something up though? Um, Please that do. I haven't talked about is that I'm I'm almost worried um, just with all the casting news for season two um, because I like how they get how they've given us to uh, given us Ahsoka so far, but I'm kind of worried like um, with her introduction to the Mandalorian just because I liked that the Mandalorian was its own thing. Um, I don't know if anybody else has that fear of... Oh, I have very mixed feelings about that. <laughs> you know, like, I am excited to see her in live-action form. Um, I just don't know if the Mandalorian, for me, is the right vehicle for it. So I'm kind of, like, extremely, extremely nervous about that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I mean, we've we've had some internal discussions where we've kind of expressed our opinions about what live action Ahsoka should be, and I think that's I think that's one of the things that convinced me that it was probably better to leave her in animation because it's yet another thing like people's connection to these characters are so strong that like when you take the original trilogy characters and you do something with them in a sequel that's why you that's why you have such strong opinions about how they're handled it's because these characters mean so much to people and making a transition from animation to live action where you're where you're taking this you know a, a stylized version of a person 
in animation form and then actually bringing them into the real world and casting a real person, that's quite a transition for people. And if it's not done just right, and a lot of people have very strong opinions about how exactly <laughs> it should be done, that you're going to make people upset. And it's yeah. so I kind of I'm like you, Adriana. I'm excited to see it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh, I just there's part of me that just wishes that it's that she'd stayed in animation. Well, I think there's there's two things there. Like one, I've said it before. I don't want live action to be, you know, the justification for for animation. I don't want animation to be looked at as as second tier um, storytelling because or or inferior storytelling. Or if somebody doesn't make the jump to live action, they're somehow you know not as important or invalidated. I think it's interesting the way if. if the rumors are true, which, mind you, Star Wars rumors just come back around every all the time. Uh, there were Ahsoka rumors about season one, and we're back to Ahsoka has her own series and and all this stuff. It just it just recycles itself. But I think if if you're going to bring her into live action, it would be smart to do it in a show like The Mandalorian because you've established a. Um, kind of a, a, a grace, a forgiveness from fans in uh, The Mandalorian, just because it was executed so effectively and every, you know, pretty universally everybody loves the story. So I think if they bring her in that way, it's smarter than maybe starting off, you know, with just a live action series as you have her for, you know, two, three minutes, maybe at most one episode in, uh, in The Mandalorian and people can kind of be like, well, I really like The Mandalorian and, you know, so I'm going to allow for this transition a little more than they would if you kind of started her on her own. Yeah, I think it's a test balloon. I think they're bringing yeah. her into the show to test what the audience's reaction will be. I do think that they have live action plans for her down the road, whether it be her own series or her own movie. Um, they definitely have that in the works. I mean, there's no way that's not in the works, or at least, you know, conceptually something that they are considering. But her appearance in live action is going to be this little test balloon of like, how yeah. do the fans react to her? Do they like it? Do they not? Are they still fighting over her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's going to be introduced to a, a whole new, like there are people who have never heard of her and her going to be right. like, who is this? Who is this? Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just hard because I, it's okay. So I, I know that Ahsoka is coded as a, coded as a woman of color, and she should definitely one hundred percent be a woman of color. Uh, someone, a, a woman of color should portray her. But at the same time, it's like I've got an attachment to Ashley, and so like that's my whole thing is like I'm already attached to Ashley, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to appreciate somebody who's not Ashley, you know, portraying her. And I think that's like, that's, I think too, one of my, one of my, that's a, that's a big, uh, hang up for me. It's just, you know, like Ashley is, is been so great for the fans and so important for, especially the female side of the fan community, but you know, also just, she's such a good person and she she's been so loyal to this character you know she went through yeah. all the work to uh -huh. you know get ahsoka to this point um that it's kind of like 
well, but why wouldn't she just get to to continue to do it? Um, you know, it, it's 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 the weird it's tricky. It's it's the disconnect, you know, that that exists in Solo, where I think you definitely you definitely feel like. Alden Ehrenreich is Han Solo in that movie. I think he did a fantastic job, but you also watch it having never seen anybody but Harrison Ford be Han Solo, and there's that kind of like dissonance there um, that that will be interesting to see, like how we feel about that once we get to, you know, whenever we see her in live action. Because I don't, I don't think you guys are wrong. I think there's whether it's Mandalorian or a movie or her own series or whatever. Like we're probably going to see Ahsoka in live action at some point. Yeah, and maybe. Maybe the transition to live action will make it a little easier for people to accept than, say, a younger Han Solo, because that's live action, live action. Yeah. And plus, Harrison Ford is so iconic that, you know... Well, and we allow for that, like with Saw Gerrera, you know? Um, this <laughs> Forrest Whitaker looks very different from the Saw Gerrera <laughs> we get in um, uh, the Onderon arc in season five, but, like... Yeah. We allow for for that, you know. Um, There's certain things, you know, that I still kind of wish they would have gotten into a little bit more, like how his eyes changed colors. I thought there could have been a cool story there and stuff like that. <laughs> but like, I think with Ahsoka, you know, we're we're not going to be talking about that much of a difference, and and it's going to be at least a partially CGI character. So I don't know. Do you think? I think so. I think. At least in some of the the facial structure, maybe they kind of just make it look uh, a little smoother, you know, and so it doesn't look so much like it's just painted on um, somebody's face, you know, um, because the, then I think you make the transition a little bit smoother going over because um, you can kind of almost give it a little bit, just enough of a, a twinge of animation uh, to to where it makes it a little bit easier to grasp. I also wonder if our our reaction to her won't be somewhat uh, guided by her how she like her demeanor, everything about her character at that point in time. Like this is going to be post. Well, it's going to it's going to follow pretty close to Rebels, right? I mean, because um, Rebels. The well, it depends on when the last scene of Rebels takes place. If we're supposed to read it like it's almost immediately after um, everything that happens in Return of the Jedi, then we're looking a few years after that. But it's kind of ambiguous about exactly how how far after the story or how far after Endor uh, the the epilogue of Rebels is. Well, she has just that one brief scene at the end of Rebels. But look at how different she looks in that mm-hmm. scene prior to what we knew of her in the in the rest of the series. That that change in her in her appearance indicates that she's she has transitioned into something else, or she is on the path towards something else, and that's possibly going to be the thing that helps us maybe accept this version of Ahsoka because she's going to be maybe more. Uh, what's the right word? I'm trying uh, not wizard like, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, wizened more. Yeah, she's going to have evolved in, in some way. Right. So maybe that seeing her in a much more self-realized demeanor where her character has been evolving to this point will maybe help us to accept it. Who knows? Uh, We'll see. 
Yeah. And I mean, then there's also, you know, if she does come into Mandalorian, what's her interactions with Baby Yoda? Because, like, there's another character. <laughs> Honestly, though, there's another character yeah. that people really care about, you know? Oh, 100%. Um, and, and in what ways does she teach Din Djarin about the Force, you know, and about what the Jedi were? Because there's obviously a lack of understanding there. So, I mean, and that's, you know that's something that's so important to star wars is we look at these characters um and it's all about the relationships like everything you you can't talk about anakin without talking about obi-wan or luke right you can't talk about luke without talking about leia and han like you can't talk about ahsoka without so there's all of these things that in movies like you know the marvel movies for example you can talk about captain america without talking about iron man you know like that makes you you can do it. Um, it does. That's not the conversation you have to have. Is like how do they influence each other as much? You know, and that's something that we do have to have in Star Wars. And so it'll be interesting to see dealing with these characters who are in a very different place, who haven't seen or heard of a Jedi in you know maybe their whole lives. Um, you know that there's the armor. You know what does she really know about the Jedi? Because she she. Obviously, at least has heard the stories well enough to tell them. So, is she somebody who saw a Jedi? You know, there's all kinds of questions there. Um, and and whatever they do, you know, is going to happen before the sequel trilogy. So it's also in one way going to be a commentary on Luke's Jedi. You know, and what Luke may be trying to help the Jedi to become, or should have tried to help the Jedi become. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be hanging on every word she says in the show because it's going. Everything that she says is going to be an indicator of not only where her story's headed, but also maybe the possible involvement of bringing in Sabine and maybe Ezra's story. Yeah, there's no way that Ezra's story is over. <laughs> there's no way. I mean, that is definitely something that's going to happen at some point. Well, and I think Filoni's basically like Filoni doesn't give straight answers, and Filoni has said they're alive. So I, I yeah. you can't get much more of a solid like the story's coming from Filoni than that. True. So let's kind of uh, land on this one. Whatever story we get from Ahsoka next um, could be Mandalorian, could be your own show, could be a comic book. We don't know. Um, but if you guys could have one Ahsoka story, um, what story would that be, and and what would the format be? Uh, Adrian, I'm gonna send it to you first. What's your your wish list Ahsoka story? <laughs> um, I <laughs> okay. Uh, so you said it, and now I want it. I want Ahsoka interacting with Baby Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> that's the brand, uh, man. That's the brand. That's that is what that is it. And I would like to, it to be in, I guess, live action. No. Let's just go animated form because imagine an animated baby Yoda. And then also if it's animated, then I can still have Ashley and not feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's fair. And you can also, you know, animate uh, Cara Dune and just throw her in there because why not? Oh, well, yeah, 100%. Well, while you're at it. While you're at it. All right, Mark, what about you? Oh, uh, live action Mortis. <laughs> Like a, a remake or a revisit? No, a revisit. Okay. Like I, I want to see Mortis brought into live action. I want it so bad. <laughs> I know I shouldn't, but... 
I mean, but there's there's definitely that connection there. We didn't even really get into that, but like the connection between her and the daughter and the light side of the force and and yeah, everything. That, that is sprinkled throughout her story so preciously. Yeah. That I mean, just every single appearance of like Moray and and where the owl appears. Um, it's very interesting that the owl has appeared in both scenes with Vader. Well, and I, I mean, that's like, that's very symbolic for sure. For sure. Of, of like the, the light side still being somewhat, you know, he's, he's far from the light, but the light is still just close enough to where he can, he can maybe be redeemed at some point. I, uh, yeah. I mean, cause for me, this that story, you know, that I want would be the. I mean, this is completely selfish, but we're talking wish list. I want a story that validates my theory that she stayed on Malachor as a way to to keep that light connected to Anakin um, somehow. Uh, I think exile is really important in the path of a Jedi. I think uh, you know that solitary time is important, but also you know we do have these connections of Morai being close to Vader and representing Ahsoka. And you know, Adriana, you sent us the the little Twitter feed from um, StarWars.com oh, yeah, that... yesterday, um, yeah. suggesting like certain episodes and stuff. And it said that Anakin's trip to Mortis and not stepping in as the the one to balance the son and the daughter is what you know, through the force out of balance. And so, you know, you have Anakin who is the father and Ahsoka who is the light and, you know, the dark is, is always changing and stuff like that. So, you know, that opens up a lot of possibilities for Mortis. Um, I think that's really interesting. I have my own Mortis theory, which is that the events that happen in those episodes of Mortis are, uh, they weren't a literal happening like they weren't like to me mortis is not it can be a literal place but it's also a figurative place it is a symbolic place um it is there it's those characters understanding being in touch with the force of what's happening within the force and it's represented as figures so they see father son daughter they see balance represented as this family dynamic um and that's just the way the force is trying to communicate to anakin ahsoka and obi-wan um And then what happens in that story is that essentially the conflict that was happening within Mortis uh, because of those events in that, in those episodes ends up spreading throughout the rest of the galaxy. So it it leaves like the realm of the force and enters like quote, the real world. So that's, that drama has been unfolding out in the real galaxy um, and everybody has their part to play. And so uh, Anakin had his part to play and Ahsoka's playing her part but it's definitely tied. There's, you know, I have, I'm pretty confident that somehow we'll look back on the whole Mortis arc and see a lot of uh, things that were being set up for where, where she ends up. Um, I'm just, you know, again, maybe I shouldn't be doing that, but that's hey. kind of how, where I see her <laughs> I'm going to reserve statement for our Mortis episode that'll be coming in the, the near future here. Um, I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're we're nailing down a date for that, but uh, we're gonna have Bill on and talk about um, Mortis a little bit more. So that's a conversation that definitely, like, I think that's one of those conversations where Filoni knows the answer but has no intention of giving us the answer right. um, until it actually serves the story and not the fans. And that's 
that's his that's his thing that's his style and so it'll be interesting to see where ahsoka goes from here and and the reaction in live action and you know like you pointed out mark we, we get her story in bits and pieces and so we're always putting that puzzle together in new ways which is not something that we get with some of the larger characters like luke we get big chunks of their story we get you know um at one time anakin um so so it's exciting but until then, we're going to keep on doing podcasts. We're going to keep on uh, talking to you guys and hanging out with you guys and sharing our ideas. And if you want to share uh, your ideas with us, you can do that on our Facebook group, uh, Star Wars Clashing Sabers. You can also find um, all of the links and things that you need there um, or on our website, ClashingSabers.net. That's got how you can support our nonprofit efforts to get Star Wars books into classrooms across the country uh, and also some pretty cool uh, in-depth articles where we basically do what we did here, but in written form so make sure you go check that out and uh, if you want to share your thoughts with us you can do that on our email it's clashing shit wow that was easy for me to say clashing sabers network at gmail.com that almost went another way there yeah Yeah. it it really really did um It is ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com, just to make that clear, um, or over on Twitter at <laughs> ClashingSabers. So while I uh, try to put words back together, Adriana, tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Celestial Intent and in the Facebook group. Awesome. And Mark, what do you got going on? I know you're always active on Twitter. and Yeah, I'm over on Twitter at DJM Marquis and... Um, you can also follow me on Instagram at uh, mrkey1205. And I know you guys have just come out with episodes of Starships and Forever Star Wars, respectively. Uh, and there's definitely some more in the works, which is really exciting. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and you will be able to get all of our stuff, all of our content. So until next time, I'm going to switch it up and just say, remember, Ahsoka lives. Who are? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> hi ho. <laughs> Come on. Are we guys. supposed to say hi ho? <laughs> I mean, I guess it. You said it now. It's recorded. <laughs> the podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just used it for informational and educational purposes. Bottom line: we made it. It's ours. They made it. It's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.